Rocking chair, chair session. With Elisa Di Batista. Maria Teresa Barber. Hello, everyone. And welcome to RCS Rocking Chair Sessions, Volume 88, with artist Carrie C. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for making time to come back to the Bay Cause to yes, sit down with us. Thank you for having me. As an alumnus, um, Maria, like I said before, we were um, starting the session. She looked on your webpage and she's like, oh, it has a big house thing. No, here. it's like we, we, was like, we she have was this here. list of recordings, right? And Elisa mm -hmm. always marks down who is like an alumni, alumnus from the Bake House or is a, you know, current resident. And I was like, why is it, why does it say back, right? BAC back BAC, there? Yeah. BAC, and now and she was like, yeah, you didn't know, and I had no idea because that was before my time, probably. Right. I've uh, been here almost four years, and you've been here in. I was here from 2011 to 2013. Nice. That's a good amount of time. Two-year residency is pretty. I came in 2015. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you were gone. Pretty mm -hmm. well felt. I feel like it's kind of like a grad school program. You know, like you're enough to like get in there, meet people, get settled. Do you feel that during the period you were here? at the Bakehouse that you had a lot of, um, not just interaction with um, fellow artists, but also like was, how was the Bakehouse, the jive, the feeling at that time? I met so many awesome people here. Mm -hmm. um, who I still hang out with sometimes. Oh, that's <laughs> me. Oh, really? Yeah, I call them and, your art family. Yeah, right, yeah, it is my art family. And, um, Actually, some people are here still who were here when I left, which oh, is awesome. Oh, wow, that's neat, too. Um, it was really great to be here. Um, but I think it was just the right amount of time. To grow. Mm -hmm. After you um, finished your residency here at the Big House, I believe that's when we met at the Art Center. How long right. was your stay there? I, th I think that one was almost two years. I left a little bit early because my daughter was two at the time. She was so cute. And I had this whole idea that she would nap in my studio while I worked. <laughs> it didn't Did work. not happen. <laughs> no. So, and it was far from where we live, and mm -hmm. it, it just turned out to not work, which was too bad because I loved it there, too. Yeah, on the beach. I also feel like it's such a... Like, here at the Bakehouse, it's a compound almost. Like, you have, like, a place to park and, you know, access 24 hours, and it's kind of somewhat safe within um, the location. But then you go somewhere to, like, Lincoln Road and the beach, and it's like you have, like, all these, like, fine parking. Um, right. It's really late at night, carrying all your supplies down the alleyway, and, right. oh, my goodness, you don't want to double-side park because then they tow you, and then those scary trucks <laughs> that tow you come by, and your heart skips a beat. Yes, so. I've been towed there once. Oh, oh no. Because my ticket fell down from oh, the dashboard. I left and... it inside the glove compartment. Yeah, just that one second, and it's gone. Yep. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> we, we share the same trauma. Um, and and then you were in Alapada, too. She yes, just I told wanted, right. yeah, you, you totally. Knew that? I yes. was sharing a studio with Lucinda Linderman there. Yeah, she was here as well. And for the last little while, I've been working from home because, well, for a variety of reasons. But um, it's it has its own challenges and conveniences. But, a bit uh, of those worlds, I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the fact that you're at a residency provides community. 
Um, it provides people walking through the space and happening to stumble upon mm -hmm. your work. But I do see the benefits of having a studio at home where you have access to it if you get, you know, a creative impulse at one o'clock in the morning or you have long right. hours you have to commit to and not have to drive afterwards. So I could see what you mean, like pluses and, and minuses. Right. Um, we know that you recently had an exhibit at the Bernice Steinfeld Gallery. Yes. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the show and the pieces that you have in it? Well, it's so it's still up. Mm -hmm. It's actually up until, it was actually just extended. I think it's going to be up now until January 5th. Oh, excellent. We're going to make it. Okay, We're yes, going to make, make it. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're inviting yeah. ourselves. <laughs> We're going to show up at Bernice's We're really door and knock. We're going to visit Bernice. Awesome. It. It's, uh, it's called Low Roads. And it's about, well, it's about all kinds of things, but mostly it's about climate change in South Florida and the, all of the complicated details that, that go along with that. Um, it's kind of the culmination of things I've been working on for a while. Some of the work actually evolved out of work that I was doing when I was here. Mm -hmm. um, and it touches on, you know, water management and, and the future of, of potable water here. Um, as Which is pretty dire right now, right? Because the salt water keeps pushing in and the water gets, uh, well, polluted a lot with all the Right. Agriculture and all that. Right. Well, I mean, I think I think it, recently, up until recently, Miami has had pretty good drinking water, mm -hmm. um, and agricultural runoff is always a problem anywhere you go. But with climate change, with sea level rise, yeah. um, the fact that so many homes are on septic tanks instead of a yes. sewer system. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. It creates a huge problem. Mm -hmm. And some scientists predict that there, you know, that, that, that we'll see um, outbreaks of cholera. Oh, no. Um, which is not something we even think about having in this country anymore. Um, things like that. Anyway, so that, that's just one, one thing that the show touches on, and also climate gentrification, mm -hmm. which is already happening. Mm -hmm. um, and actually the, the role that artists play in that, whether we know it or not, and um, also the fact that all the plastic everybody uses is contributing to... Um, is contributing to climate change because yeah. as it breaks down, it releases more greenhouse gas, as well as oh, you know everything it does in the ocean. And I feel like it's so layered. Like all like your pieces aren't just one thing. There's all these different subjects that basically um, kind of like interweave. And, and and I feel that also has a lot to do like with the materials you use. Like you don't use just one singular material you're very multidisciplinary in all the different things that mm -hmm. you bring together and also weave could you talk a little bit about the materials for this specific show and then we'll go through your trajectory of the other stuff that you've used sure um i i like to use materials symbolically mm -hmm. 
and I think sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it might be universal and sometimes it's just me. But um, I, for this show, I was using a lot of graphite mm -hmm. um, to, to do these really kind of meticulous, dramatic skies of abandoned cityscapes that are, you know, Miami and the surrounding area. Um, sort of, I guess they're streetscapes, really. They're Current one of Miami Beach, right? It, it's and then they're, they're all titled, you know, Site Six, Site Seven, Site Eight, with with coordinates, mm -hmm. as though they are. Um, Like a depicting test something in the past, you know, no, as though uh -huh. it's sort of our, our future looking back at us, uh -huh. um, where you know this is where people lived when it was <laughs> when it was habitable, um, and then in combination with those with, with the drawings, the other parts of the image are made up of things like um, cut up pieces of security envelope paper, the, you know, the, with Those the patterns that you get when... Yes. I saw an image and I was like, wow, it's so intricate. Your stuff is so intricate and it, it takes a lot of patience and precision and detail. Yeah. It does. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, is it meditative for you? Like, what do you um, do to, like, get going and commence? It's not at all meditative for me, actually. It's... I tend to be a more of a single focus mm -hmm. person, and so if I'm in the zone where I'm making work, then I'm not in the zone where I'm doing anything else, and every other part of my life kind of falls by the wayside. But and um, on, on average, how long do um, do your medium-sized pieces, I mean the larger pieces, I, I imagine take forever. Um, do you set yourself a time limit? Is it each material has its own, um, I guess, lifeline in terms of how long it lasts to make it, or? I think it really depends. The bigger ones, um, the, the biggest one in the show is, uh, I think, six by six feet. Wow, okay, so it's pretty large. Right, and, wow, oh, is it really that big? No, I don't remember. Anyway, it's pretty big, pretty big. five feet maybe. Yeah. Um, and that one took about a month. Oh, okay. And how about, um, this is mostly, as you said, paper-based for this specific show, paper-based graphite. Paper, and well, and also other collaged elements. Okay. That, um, pieces of, of plastic, like oh, plastic excellent. bags that have been either sewn in so that they don't look, it's hard to describe, Verbally, they they're cut to to a certain shape, mm -hmm. um, so you you can't tell necessarily what they were. You transform them, mm -hmm. right? Um, so plastic and paper and embroidery and recycled felt, nice. um, fabric. But when you first initially see it, it looks like it's on a two dimensional. Right, Same. it's all re relatively yeah. two-dimensional. There's there's texture there, but it's um, 
yeah, it's all it's all basically two dimensional. Okay. Going back in time, <laughs> um, you worked with which not a lot of people would even imagine to work with um, videotape, right? And those pieces were like way larger than six by six feet. Those I can't imagine how long long those took to you weave those, didn't you? Uh, crocheted. Crocheted. They're crochet and macrame. Wow. One of the biggest one is I think nine feet by twenty three feet. Whoa. Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about, yeah. Carrie. I know it's like it's, you're a worker, right? Yeah, it's like I, I see you kind of like it's working like, like very a intensive. almost like a scientist or like like very precise, but a, like like in a way um, an artist that plans very well ahead mm -hmm. and then executes the plan very much to the detail. Right? Is that it's that yes, but also something inevitably doesn't happen the way I thought it would, and then some of the best moments in the work come out of fixing or adjusting to what happened, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Letting the material um, speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like in the in that big work that's in the show right now, I was just so stressed out because I had to deliver it very soon and there was still this part of it that wasn't finished. I didn't know what it needed and um, I didn't have the, the, the thing I had planned wasn't going to work. And then at the last minute, um, I realized that I knew exactly what it needed, and, it, and it's totally right now. I, I, I used um, aluminum foil. It all comes together. Oh, wow. mm -hmm. Instead of so the paper a thing, I was different material. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So things like that, I don't plan, but other parts of it are very meticulously planned. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, the th for the crochet pieces, they have to be. I make a, a pattern. That one was done in a technique called fillet crochet. Okay. Where you you basically crochet little empty squares that re that that read as negative space, and then some that are not empty, and those are the positive space. I like those. And you really make a plan. Mm -hmm. How you're gonna? How do you, do you make the plan? You do draw you frame it, those? or um, I either use. Let's see. Can you do it on a computer? Yeah, yeah. Either use a computer or graph paper. Cool. Oh, really? You have a lot of wow. graph paper. I like that. Like the little, the ones with the squares, right? Yeah. Fine. And I do that for I've other... I've never made a plan for... I do know how to read, but not crocheting, probably not anymore. I used to do that in, Austria, in like, elementary mm -hmm. school or high school. But I know how to read knitting like I was mm -hmm. able to knit a sweater came out way too big but stuff. like I know how to read it potentially um there is something with the tension that I never got because you are supposed to make like a little swatch test a swatch right. yeah like a test field kind of like that swatch but um so you really write everything down and you follow the plan to the to right. the spot but if you make big pieces like that that's really the only way you can do it right right well also just because of that technique because I was I needed it to be a specific image. Yeah. You can't, when you're that close to it, you can't tell what needs to happen next unless you have a, a grid there yes. to look mm -hmm. at. But then, even with that piece, actually, there was some, there were some parts of it that weren't planned. Mm -hmm. When, um, I don't remember what went wrong with that one, but I ended up finishing it in a different way than mm -hmm. I thought I would. And... And it worked. Happy results. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, I really want to go back way, 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 way back uh, because you were born in California, right? Yes. And um, you went to school in uh, Santa Cruz and yep. in San, San Jose. Jose. Yes. I used to live in San Francisco, so that's okay. all. Like, I didn't know that you were from <laughs> you California, where, from where I moved from when I moved here. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Me too. <laughs> and uh, what what made you transition over to Miami? Well, I moved here because my husband got a job here. Mm -hmm. okay. um, he wasn't my husband at the time, mm -hmm. but I was much younger <laughs> and <laughs> used to making big life decisions without thinking them through very much. So I well, said, sure, I'll move to Miami. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I can, I can totally... <laughs> I can totally understand that. I feel like my decision to move to Miami was very similar. <laughs> yep. And it was. But he was quite from California. He was he was living there with you. Well, or? He he was living. He had been been living in California for about eleven years. But oh. he he was in grad school at UC Berkeley mm -hmm. when we met and just about to finish. Um, but he's from Maryland. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So he's like, he's already used to moving. So he's like, why not? <laughs> and then you're like, I'm kind of sort of in California this whole time. And how, was your, how was your first year in Miami? It was horrible. I know. Oh. I know. <laughs> Coming from California, it's the worst, really. It was, we moved here in August Hi. of Hi. 2007. And it's not like I had never experienced this kind of heat before totally it's different it, it living in it is different yeah california um, heat is like dryish it's like your hair is nice right. and it stays down and this is just like well it's never that hot humidity. maybe in la i don't know but in, in san francisco it's cold all the time anyway especially in the summer but also in i mean even san jose, oh, san jose is maybe a little hotter right right but it, i grew up in southern california mm -hmm. and it, it gets hot like desert. Um, but it's it's desert heat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is sticky, mosquito, humidity. Right. And we didn't have a car for two weeks. Oh no, no car, maybe. Or any stuff, because <laughs> you know we we sent it over on a truck where they deliver. Right. Oh no. We and, need a car to survive here. Um. Yeah, that was hard. And so coming from San Francisco, I thought, oh well, I'll just. I don't have a job yet. I'll just take the bus to the beach. <laughs> and this is from near, near UM, where oh, we were living, because that's where he, where my husband's job was. Oh, that's exciting. And it, you know, and then I learned that it would take two and a half hours to get to the beach. Yes. And that it was, you know, it was August and <sighs> miserable. And then I thought, well, I'll just walk around the neighborhood, and every car that passed honked at me and yelled oh, at me. no. Not in the way that uh, I was used to in other cities where it was just pretty straightforward street harassment, but this was yelling at me, not because I'm a woman, but because I was walking. <laughs> You're not One supposed to One person yelled walk. at me, get a car! That <laughs> <laughs> so sounds very Miami, yeah. Yeah. Well, they probably felt bad to see you walking, but they also thought that, yeah. And it yes. feels special, the culture shock from, so from moving from San Francisco to Miami. It's like a really, with the public, public transport, transportation. Yeah, I wish it were better. Um, I want to say it has improved, but I can't really say that, honestly, since I don't utilize it. Um, I drive car. 
everywhere. It, I think it's just that is the transition that I was in. I didn't have a car for actually a long, long time. I started using my bike and biking to the beach. Biking is death. Which has its own hazards. Which, yeah, but so, I didn't, so I, I didn't care. But it was still like the cat calling was pretty tough too for me. Yeah. That was like I was not used to that. That doesn't happen in that intensity in in California or in San Francisco. But um, at, at some point, you just give in, and then you just live in your car like everyone else. Okay. <laughs> right? How did you find out about the big house initially? I don't remember. Oh. Cool. Um, I. What did it happen? Oh well. Hmm. No, I really don't remember. Like an arc call I, I, or something. I was looking for a studio, so I must have just Googled something and mm -hmm. found it. Was that was. soon after you got you came here? No. No, I I lived here for a few years before coming here. Um, I was just finishing my library degree. Oh, nice. And was working in the UM library Fine. for a little while. No I way. I just I started it. to catalog the library at the PAM. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I have so many questions <laughs> because I just learned by doing, basically. Um, but that's amazing. So what did you study in California? Well, my undergraduate degree was... Uh, in painting and photography, mm -hmm. and then I did the master's degree in library science Already, later. already in California? Mm -hmm. And then here? And here, oh, the, the last bit of, of that I was able to do long distance. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I finished after we had already moved. That's amazing. And then you started to work at UM? Right. Mm-hmm. Do you still uh, work in a library? No, but I miss it actually. I love working in the library. It's my favorite part. It's really great. And I'm not even supposed to do it. I'm a teaching artist there. Oh. So I'm teaching the kids, but I'm always like, if there is any time I'm in the library cataloging because I love it. Yeah. It has something really soothing or I don't know what's... Yep. Mm -hmm. I loved cataloging. The, mm -hmm. I did my my internships for the degree I did in California at the Asian Art Museum Library oh. and the SFMOMA Library. No way. Doing cataloging. That's so cool. Which is what I thought I wanted to do. Um, it didn't It didn't work out at, at the UM Library. Uh-huh. Well, part of the reason, as I understand it, is, you know, after the crash in 2008, all of the people that they thought were going to retire from the profession didn't. Stuck around. And then there was a glut of too many people. Of people. The, yeah. the library profession had actually gone out of its way to um, get more younger people getting the degree because it was anticipated that all the baby boomers would be retiring and they needed people, people. to oh. step in and, and fill the positions. And then... They got that, but then everybody stayed, and not enough jobs. Right. But you still work with paper, differently. Yep. And actually, um, I got my studio here right after I left that job, oh. and was really um, one of one of the first things I worked on here was actually because of what I've been doing at the library. I had wor been working with Christina Fevretto, who's the head of special collections there. 
on a project where we were going through the stacks and finding um, all of these um, incredible books that really should have been in special collections mm-hmm. um, that were what, were what are called publisher's bindings. Okay. Are they these embossed covers that are often incredibly yes. elaborate and um, just amazing. And beautiful, yeah. And I was taking them, those covers, and doing crayon rubbings to get the kind of like grave rubbings but of books and, and doing embroideries of circuit boards over top. That's lovely. I like that because it's something that people normally don't, like you feel it with your hands physically, but you don't really like think about the additional layer of making, like you say, like a, a cast, almost like a, an actual uh, intentional marking of mm-hmm. that surface. Right. Those are lovely. So those, that was the first project you did here at the Big House? It was one of them. Nice. I think the other, other one was I, was, I was embroidering floppy disks. <laughs> I saw that project. I was in love with it because it was like this idea of how much got lost because right. everything developed so fast, you know. Yeah. I was using floppy disks. I was using floppy disks. Then they got smaller. Mm-hmm. It was square. Right. And then, I mean, so many things happened in between just just along the audio files also, CDs, right? From like, USBs, yeah, like all the, all the things that I lost just by right. transition. Even if you just transition from one phone to the other. Right. All the things that got lost. Similar. Don't forget the zip drives and the oh. jazz drives and the zip drives. Do you remember drives. those? Horrifying. They were big, chunky. <laughs> Boy, how do you describe those things? They were like they rectangular. Didn't last, they weren't around for very long, I don't think. No, I don't think they pushed that enough either. It was like rectangular oh, squares as a drive. The squares, they were yeah. like rectangular squares. That were mm-hmm. like they were thicker than the floppy disks. They were thicker, they were yeah, because the floppy disks were you could bend them, and then the others were like harder. Like yeah, solid. right. But then the, the, the zip drives and the jazz drives were even thicker than the hard floppy disks. Oh, really? Yeah, I feel like they oh didn't God. want to change like the pieces. And you, how were you able to embroider into that plastic? You were yes. really going through the plastic. You were so, drilling holes into it. Well, I was using a tiny little awl mm-hmm. um, around the edges. But most of it is done on cross-stitch fabric because I, I tried it out. The, the plastic couldn't support that many tiny holes that close together. It would probably break it, it right? It would break, right. Yeah. So I did most of the stitching on the fabric and then applicated it onto the disc. But those stitches are right through. So it gives the appearance of it all being That is all right is through. Uh-huh. Nice. But one more question. So you were studying painting mm-hmm. and photography, right? Right. How I didn't even question you switching over to library science because I'm like, oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> but why for you? Why was it for you that you wanted to go to, into library science? I was tired of being broke. <laughs> I totally understand that. Yes. Yeah. And um, so there was a big gap between when I did my undergraduate work, and when I went back to school, mm-hmm. I, I went back when I was 26 or 27, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, I just was working low-paying jobs and trying to make and art again. and um, didn't exactly have a knack for self-promotion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, 
you know, I was starting to feel like I was old enough that I would like to have some kind of reliable income. Solid. Mm -hmm. So I was looking around and thinking, what else could I possibly do that I would like? And this was when Monster.com was a thing. I was just filling in various keywords and looking and then a, and a library job popped up and I realized, oh, that's exactly what I want to do. Is it like a self-evaluation thing where you can put in your preferences? No, no, or? no. I was just searching for job. It's kind this of like job, an job, whatever. whatever. Oh, okay. It's today's like Indeed.com oh. situation where or it's like, like a, today's link. It's not really like LinkedIn because you didn't have... I think it's like... Indeed, well, probably, right? Indeed. I think uh. LinkedIn is definitely like a professional website where it could show maybe you can link up to things, but like a, a job applicator, a job application that looks for... Right, possible right. things. So you put it in Monster, and you said, "Okay, library it is." Yeah. <laughs> and I, I figured if, I mean, at that point, I really thought that art just wasn't going to work out, oh. and I needed to have something else that was a, a career, mm -hmm. <laughs> and realized that I would love doing that. So I did that, and then um, graduated just in time for there to be hardly any jobs. <laughs> It's the irony of life sometimes, right? Where you're trying yep. to get away from something and then... Yep. But I so, love how it brought you back around to yeah. the art. But also, I mean, to, to work in all those art libraries. Yep. Like, I mean, those the SF MoMA library can, also I can only dream of. That like, was amazing. Seeing all of that, you know, because... Yep. Now the original I was artist doing books. A, yeah, I got to see lots of artist books. I, the project I was working on there was... It was basically just checking and, and re-entering all kinds of metadata. But oh. um, in order to do that, I had to look through pretty much every single periodical that they had in their entire collection. Like no way. And, and, you know, and, and I, I got to look through them, not, you know, not just to be a... Um, not just a, a drone typing yeah. in, you know, but they let me look, look through. Actually I love those things, especially the you know all of the old, um, old ads. Yes, and uh, we have like, like art forum and especially art in America from the '60s or something. And when you look at that magazine, it's like you know the world that yep. they lived in. I was like, it's just like <laughs> the magazines are really awesome. I didn't even enter those yet. I didn't get that far. I'm still <laughs> dealing with the books because the periodicals are just like, I mean, it takes forever. Just, oh, yeah. You know, if you have like Art, for, art Forum or like Art in America from the 60s, it's going to take you a while if they That's have, they probably have all the right. issues. Wow. How long did you do that? I don't remember exactly how long. It was a couple of months. Mm -hmm. A few months. Yeah. And well, I didn't, you know, and I didn't get through all of them. Yeah. You did your so part many. and then, yeah. yeah. I was curious, because wow. you do involve um, sewing, crocheting, fibers, threads, all these things into your work. Where did you first encounter that and who was the person that kind of sort of said, this is how it's done? And mm. I learned that when I was a kid. Mm. My mom taught me to make my own clothes. And when I was in elementary school, I had a little business making and selling scrunchies. Ooh, fine. Yep. That's great. What, if you don't what, wait, I remember scrunchies. I'm, 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 I'm fascinated. I'm sorry, I had scrunchies. 
Um, tip for our Austrian. Um, scrunchies are basically kind of like hair ties, but they're, they're like kind of sort of from the poofy from the 80s. <laughs> oh, and I don't they have like different colors. Them. You were wearing scrunchies. Neon, oh, yeah. neon colors. With like patterns yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's like, look at you, <laughs> business owner at yep. elementary school level. That's fine. Yep. Anyway, so my mom taught me to sew, and my kindergarten teacher and my grandmother taught me to embroider. My other grandmother taught me quilting. And then I picked up the other stuff over the years. But it started early. Now that you have a daughter, have, does she, and she watches and observes what you do, have you started with her yes. as well? Yeah. She she's knitting. Oh, that's And fun. doing a little bit of embroidery. Good. How old is she now? She's five. She's five yeah. and she's knitting, the knitting doll, the French knitting doll? Uh, or, like there is this doll where you can learn how to knit that makes like oh, this row. Oh. No, actual knitting with actual needles. Actual knitting right. already. Five is the age when okay. most kids can learn how to with do it needles. if they want to. Fine. I think that's awesome. Okay. I was trying it last year with my project art class. And I think I'm a really bad teacher in knitting at least. I learned them how to weave. We did like little weavings. Mm -hmm. That was easier. I made them little looms out of like stretcher bars. Mm -hmm. But knitting, I think I'm, I, 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 I think it depends on the child. I think they have to be mm -hmm. Maybe if they really want to, right? And, and then and not, a, not a big group, like if you can do one-on-one. -on -one. Right. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Yeah. No. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. And before you got into your program for undergrad, what was it that, um, I mean, from sewing and fabrics to like, when you think traditional fine arts, you think like painting. When did that crossover? Like, when did you start mm. doing more illustrative and like actual like mark making? I don't quite. I, I didn't quite follow the question. Are you um, asking when I brought yeah, started like, bringing like, textiles in be, after or what switching, I? Or when you started to switch materials from going to like fibers and 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 stitching and crocheting to actually painting, like with oils and acrylics and brushes and. And then photography, because those are the things you minored in. Right, okay, well, so the the needlework I learned mm -hmm. as a utilitarian skill, you know, to, to make stuff. You didn't really see it as a... And I I didn't actually make any art with any of those things until oh. much later. Wow, okay. And so I, I went to school for painting and photography, mm -hmm. and it, it was actually shortly before... We moved here that I started embroidering my paintings, working in little details so that you couldn't tell until you got up close that this part was embroidered. Mm -hmm. um, I did, I, these are not, not on my website, but I did the this series of um, kind of like pinup dudes. It's <laughs> <laughs> fine. That was. Pinup dudes, I love the world. I think we should do an exhibition called Pinup Dudes. <laughs> great, <laughs> with your work. <laughs> they, um, you know, it, it was not. It wasn't straightforward. You know, it was kind of a commentary on masculine performance and all of that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, so I would embroider the face. You know, like do this really intricate cross-stitched face, and then work that in so that you couldn't tell it was from a distance that it was embroidered and kind of um, toying with the different values that are assigned to different kinds of mark making and mm -hmm. how 
painting for so long was valued more and arguably still is. Um, Agreed. Yeah, I was very curious as to the transition because, um, well, photography has also been debated, like, oh, is it art, is it art? But, like, painting is so formal, and then I, I was so curious when you started to incorporate those things into. Um, why painting? Why did I study painting? Yeah, what, what brought you to it that you're like, oh, I'd like this instead of, like, sculpture? Because I feel like your stuff could also be considered oh, to be sculpture. Oh, because I was bad at sculpture. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just agree. Well, now, anyways, I was like, I could see it being uh, I mean, I have since made sculptures, yeah. but not in any traditional kind of way. I took ceramics class in high school, and... It was the worst. Oh, no. I, or I was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not for me. It was not for me. But for me, it was really interesting. I was recently in London in the Tate Modern for the very first time, and they had the Annie Albers show up. Mm. And, I mean, she was, like, this really famous artist, German-born, by the way, American artist, mm -hmm. um, who really, probably one of the first people who, in, who made weavings and... I don't know, all kind of fiber work, and it was considered mm -hmm. art, right? right? And I was walking through the exhibition, and I loved it, and I work myself, like, I, I love weaving, mm -hmm. I love incorporating that in, into my artwork, but I was really walking through, through the museum, and I kind of got goosebumps, because I was like, oh my god, these are weavings, and they are beautiful, and they are here in the Tate Modern, and they are being put in right. the same you know, on the same walls where usually all the paintings are and all, you know. And even for me, it was like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. And I was like, even for me, it was like, oh, my God, is this, you know, because especially with weavings, you think of handkerchiefs and you think of mm -hmm. the kitchen, you think of drying, you know, your your um, dishes and or you, you think of tablecloths and, you, you know, all those pattern work. Right. But she did, because she also did, like, this intricate uh, pattern work with weavings that were just, say, I mean, I, I have even, I would not, I mean, alone the skill that she had to do that and pull that off, it was just, like, for me, it was incredible. But to see that elevated like that, it was, even mm -hmm. for a person who loves fiber art, it's, it was, like, I don't even know. I don't even know. I, I love like, that jingle for Annie Albers. That's a good one. <laughs> I feel like you, you've you come to another level beyond the painting with that as well, with what you do, with, in, with incorporating this thing, as you said, was utilitarian, doing quotation marks, because it just, I feel like it pushes it. It pushes mm -hmm. it, makes it um, that much more layered when you approach it and you see that it, it is like these fibers are sticking out or like you mentioned like the aluminum or or the the grids from like the graphite paper and it it's just it makes it it has a I don't know like a really beautiful intentional like layered effect that makes it once again see how how you put so much planning and it's not just like a random mistake like even your mistakes are somehow you know you you can you you there's a harnessing of the thought process. Mm -hmm. Maria, can you help me kind of, you know what <laughs> no, I mean? No, but like, there's one thing that I also wanted to say. I feel like, uh, uh, I, I, I can see the, the, I can still see the painter in you mm -hmm. in the works that you do. Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. Because I still see that, you know, the way you treat the canvas, you treat it with the thread instead of the mm -hmm. color, but I still see that in, in some works, in right. some works you get, you go completely away from, 
you know, the stretcher bars mm -hmm. and the canvases. But I remember, and I think that was one of the pieces that I saw when I was, when we were at Bernie Steinbaum's, the one that is at the, in the corner, that is, goes over the corner. Oh. Oh, a corner piece, yes. That is not, you know, that is hung in the corner. Right. She likes actually, to do that. Yeah, we actually saw that one in Alapata as well. It was so unexpected. I think not just the presentation of it, but like the idea of like this. Normally, you think of something in a two-dimensional plane, and it kind of sort of it does make it give it that sculptural yeah. element by mm -hmm. the way that. So it's that done. was something that Bernice also came up with, like these corner installations. Were right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually her. Um, her like interpretation right. of the work to kind of put it like that. Yeah. But it was kind of hung in, in space when I saw it at Alapata. It was just like sticking out. I don't remember. But it wasn't in oh, a corner. Oh, the hinged ones. Yes, the oh, hinges. Oh, right. So good. I don't remember which one it was. I don't recall. But, but it was sticking out. But it was out. coming right. out of the wall. Right. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of double-sided work. And actually, yes. most of what's in the show right now at Bernice's is double-sided. Oh, really? Oh. You can see the backside. Right. And it's not just that you can see the back of the embroidery, but the back is actually different in some ways. Oh, it's lovely. Um, the with these yeah so it's not just the reverse of of what's on the front but the thread color is different on the back um, some of the choices I make with color make something that's on the front or on the back not be so apparent on one side or the other and then there are collaged elements on both sides um, are they in fact the same site with the same coordinates or is yes. it okay mm -hmm. a uh, different like time or a different like season of the same no it's just sort of there's more information okay. on the back mm -hmm. um, th there's one piece that is up there right now that I'm thinking of in particular that um, let's see a couple there's one that's um, kind of like a a, a circular piece of canvas sewn into a square mm -hmm. canvas, if that makes uh -huh. sense. And so it gives the effect, what's inside the circle is a, a view of downtown as though you're kind of looking back as you're driving away. You're like you're kind of looking yeah. through a portal or um, a microscope or whatever. Um, and on the front is a piece of yellow plastic from the, the casing that you get a newspaper in mm -hmm. that sort of gives this Im impression of, of water, like oh, gross water. <laughs> but, and it, so, th you know, that, so that says one thing, and then on the back there's the reverse of the embroidery, and you see it where the circle was stitched in, so you kind of see that there's, um, there's a story behind what's happening obviously, but then there's a piece of uh, fabric printed with coral sort of wedged in on the back. That's lovely. So I find that I I like to put, I guess it comes back to books. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I like opening something up like a book. And front it's and back. not all there on the front. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to like But you're combining all the techniques all, also, right? Like right. there's now, it's not just like a, a regular canvas anymore. So there are multiple parts mm -hmm. and they're uh, sewn together. And then on top it's embroidery or stitching or it's kind of right. like you have, um, you have kind of boiled it down to like something, something you do, you know, like the way you mm -hmm. do it. Right. 
right? Like all those techniques. Mm -hmm. Right. But I also like how you frame them. It's, I could see the, the, the photographic element in that as well. Like it's a very, um, you have the like contrasty, like with the, like the valleys you mentioned before, like by the, the selection of certain um, fabrics or certain um, materials to create it like very sharp images even though like sometimes mm -hmm. from far away you can't really they, they're very sharp like exacting I feel mm -hmm. as well um, I wanted to ask you about um, from going from painting to photography inclusion of fibers to performance um, mm -hmm. I recall when you were doing your residency at the Art Center South Florida it was something related to I don't know it was like a the French Alliance or something like that, but right. you did a performative piece in the window. Right. Um, how was it different for you, the experience of creating in the privacy of your studio where you have nobody viewing to actually creating and making a work in public as a performance? Well, I tried that out and did not enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that it would... I think that it was an important component of that work that I was kind of workshopping there, um, which is still ongoing. It's the Shroud for Soul Murderers project. Mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, it was fine, but I don't know. It, it could have been the setting also. Yeah. I was, I was hassled a lot oh, while really? I was doing it. Why, uh, where were you doing on you? It was a, it was in the window of the art center, but on Lincoln Road, on Lincoln like Road, in the old eight hundred building, where it's like quite right. visible and people are walking past all the time. I know but, because it was open to the public. People were coming in through that place like a lot, right? There was like tourists and all kinds of people right. walking through. Uh -huh. But through the actual window, you mean they were harassed? People came in oh, to the window. No. Yeah. Oh my god! Oh, it was because was of the at. subject matter. I mean, it it was um, quite heavy. Yeah. Some young guys who wanted to prove something, I guess. I mean, it, should I explain oh, what the... Yes, Can you explain? Yeah, I don't know. Um, oh. So th this is a textile piece that, it's called Shroud for Soul Murderers, and it takes its name from Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities uh, and Enrique Ibsen's idea of, of who coined the term soul murder, which he called the um, causing the loss of the love of life in another human being. And I kind of put together that idea and the the figure in A Tale of Two Cities that's this uh, French revolutionary who's working with the people who are going to um, carry out the French Revolution. Mm -hmm. And she's keeping the list of all the people they're going to assassinate in her knitting by using some kind of knitting cipher. And when the police come and ask her what she's knitting casually, she very darkly says, a shroud. <laughs> and so I- What does shroud mean? Oh, it means the, the fabric cover that you put over a dead person. Oh, like, uh, okay, leichendoch. Mm -hmm. Shroud. Anyway, so what I'm doing is embroidering in a, what I think is actually a pretty secure cipher, um, the embroidery motifs that that if that when translated, for mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, um, or decoded, are actually the names of rapists and child abusers and domestic batterers. Um, they all look like these 
kind of beautiful asymmetrical geometric embroidery things, but it's actually a list. Um, the idea, of course, is not that anyone's going to actually murder these people, but more kind of a putting to rest of trauma and um, making making people accountable in a way that isn't vulnerable to the usual critiques of people who name their attacker or abuser or what have you. You know, that it's for the revenge or that, you know, you're ruining someone's good name and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, this is just a kind of the, the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah. I'm sorry people barged in and bothered you while you were working. It's kind of strange being in a public setting and doing a performance, mm -hmm. especially one of such a well, very heavy matter. And, and also like the people that you encounter on Lincoln Road, I mean, Torres, sometimes there are people that are having a little bit too much fun. We'll leave it at that. And they just knock on you and in the window, they make faces. Mm -hmm. When you're installing even, not even performing, they they bother you in the window. I know that's right. happened to me before and it's... It's amazing what but, some people decide to do. But yeah. it's also interesting <laughs> that they're like you, like uh, tackling that subject. really important theme and that subject through that em embroidery or, or knitting mm -hmm. embroidery. embroidery that it would kind of like, again, lead to more harassment, right? Mm -hmm. Which also happens a lot to women right. who do come forward, right. that they get harassed. Right. So not the rapist or the child right. abuser, but the woman that comes forward, right? right. It's like kind of like this mirrored right. situation almost that happened yep. in that performative piece. Right. Well, how long were you um, in the embroidery in there, uh, embroidering in there? The performance part itself wasn't that long. I think it was maybe 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and I was embroidering from behind the shroud, so you couldn't see oh, most great. of me. Oh, that's uh -huh. excellent. And it, and it was actually an interesting challenge for me to backwards do it backwards without looking. <laughs> wow. Um, and you finished that whole uh, shroud? No, it's ongoing. Oh, it's, you're so still... I'm pretty sure, and, sadly, it's going to be an ongoing project. Yeah, I mean, it's meant it's meant to be yeah. sort of permanently ongoing. Mm -hmm. How um, long is it right now? I, don't, I haven't really been keeping track. I've, I've had to take breaks, of you know, course. from time to time, just because there are things that... There's work I have to do that is Certainly. actually paying me money. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. And um, also because it's actually just really heavy. Mm -hmm. And Certainly. a lot to... It's a burden. ...hold, you know, I mean... Um, I didn't anticipate that part. Yeah. Mm. The emotional, um, you know, they're really wear an emotional terror, weight right? to it. Yeah, right. the weight. Yeah. Uh -huh. Also, okay. maybe you feel like also like responsibility, you know, to like write these things down. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any upcoming projects or shows or exhibits you'd like to share with us? I actually don't have any. Wait a minute. Do I? Um, you just have to, currently the show up with Bernice until January 5th, you said? Right. Can I people come and visit there or they would have hours? to make an appointment, um, right? The appoint it's by appointment only. Yeah. Okay. So they would have to get in touch with uh, Bernice Steinbaum Gallery. Right. And then they can come and see your work right. for the next two weeks, probably two, three right. weeks. Right. Mm -hmm. And there actually was, there was a lot of interest. And so we we're, they're putting together... I think some some kind of sort of roundtable or oh, that'd be oh, nice. panel discussion. I don't know the details of it. Uh -huh. Okay, right so now, forthcoming. But, uh -huh. Okay. Okay. 
and in January I have to start working on commissions. Yay. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And are there mm -hmm. any um, things you're experimenting right now that you're excited with? I did two artist books for the show, oh, and wow. it's something that I've been wanting to do for years and years and years. I mean the librarian in you, of course. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been hoarding all kinds of literal garbage as well as all kinds of other things That's so that I know are going to be parts of books one day, but... Um, they just didn't really start coming together until recently. That's exciting. One of them that's in the show is actually came out of a, the residency I did at the Deering Estate a while ago. Oh, really? That, um... How was that? Did you enjoy it? It was great. I did the visiting residency. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have the studio there, but I came and went, and, you know, the... The crowns are so lovely. Right, they would take me out. and I remember oh, I was wow. nine months pregnant at the time, actually, and mm -hmm. I needed to find this certain kind of berry to make ink. <laughs> and so I asked one of the, I don't know, who, you know the, the scientists who would take you out or the, the other guys who drive the little things, right? golf carts around, right, who, who know where all of the plants are. And he said, I think there are some right now over in this place. Are you sure you want to, are you sure you want to go? <laughs> and I said, I have to do this or I can't finish the project. And so he took me out pretty nervously, I think. Oh, no. And it was a very bumpy oh, ride. And I'm, sh he, I'm sure that he was sure that I was going to give birth yes, right then and there. I think so. I think he was very <laughs> like oh, water God, breaking. Oh, my God, baby. <laughs> I didn't. Alrighty. Yeah. Okay, Maria has your We're last already question. at the end of our session. Time flew by. Well, and um, the last question is, you've been sitting on a magical rocking chair and he grants you three wishes. <laughs> what are your three wishes? Oh, dear. You have to say them out loud for them to come true. Let's see. I wish that we will collectively be able to do something about all of this plastic people are using. Mm -hmm. Oh, which reminds me of something I forgot to tell you about, but um, let's see. Oh, I don't know. I can't answer this question. <laughs> yeah, I'm an overthinker. <laughs> we already got one wish, so. Okay. But I will tell you the thing that I was reminded of. Yes, please. Which is that I just recently started a website called ZeroWasteMiami.com. Oh, yes. I saw that. Oh, my God. It's great. That's the, amazing. It's it's geared towards people who already know about what that is and are interested in it. It's not, um, anyway, well, I won't tell you what it's not. It's a, it's a resource, basically, for finding the things you need in order to start living without plastic or with less disposable plastic, and also um, for companies and organizations that would like to be more sustainable. Yeah, That's that. wonderful. And it will grow. It will grow. Yeah. We're I'm sure of that. We really need it here in Miami, especially. Yes. Uh -huh. Okay. Like that. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thank, thank you, you for, for having me. We're going to link both websites uh, with the okay, podcast. Yes. So the Zero Waste Miami and also your personal one. Okay. Thank you so much again. Thank Lisa. you for coming in, Kim. And thank, uh, you guys. thank you to our listeners. We're going to be back next week with a new Rocking Chess session. Bye, everybody. Bye.